You are listening to Mamir's Well Podcast, a Burning Hallows production. We are your hosts, Kitty Fields and Alora Rain. If you like what you're hearing, hit that subscribe button to receive notifications of, of future episodes. <laughs> we invite you to check out our sister podcast, the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast, where we explore all kinds of otherworldly topics and witchcraft. And where you can listen to the first half of this Heroes and Villains episode, in which we explore the heroic side of Aleister Crowley. You can also support us and our magical podcasts by going to patreon.com slash burninghallows and signing up as a patron. And by visiting alorarain.com to grab a tarot reading, numerology, and soul origin profile. Now on to the show. So what makes the wickedest man in the world so wicked? Despite the positive effects he may have had, Aleister Crowley is probably the most controversial figure in the occult world. Crowley was wealthy beyond measure and spared no expense in exploring the darkness of the occult while luring others to help him build his utopia in the name of enlightenment. Crowley had his fingers in many pies, including depraved sex, drugs, eugenics, espionage, and possibly even murder. So come along with us as we dig underneath the well to explore the villainous ways of Aleister Crowley. Warning, this episode contains discussions that feature themes that may be disturbing to some, such as sex, drug use, eugenics, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. know why but i i I always hear like the pan flute like in my head whenever i know i don't know why i just always hear that when i see intro music (laughs) yeah because i think we've heard it about five hundred thousand (laughs) times probably Uh, oh this is gonna be a fun one but is it i feel like it's gonna be a little disturbing yeah (laughs) completely different from the first heroic episode right and i would highly recommend if you are a patron to go ahead and grab those book of shadows pages to take notes and stuff if you'd like to uh because we're not going to be going over all the same stuff that we did in the heroic episode Mm, Um, we're Mm -hmm. not really going to rehash all that no no yeah but we're going to add two okay sounds good to me so Let's start with Alistair Crowley's early life. Mm-hmm. Just a little tidbit here, because I think you covered it really well Okay, in the other episode. But one thing that we didn't really talk about was the fact that Crowley was born into wealth. Uh, like a lot of it. <laughs> I didn't know that. So not only were his parents part of a Pentecostal type movement, like spiritually, religiously, they were renowned brewers. So they had lots of money. And when I say lots of money, I mean, think like Rockefeller here. Weird. Okay. It is thought that Crowley set out very early after his father passed away when he was 11, which we did talk about to replace his family's religion and culture through extreme rebellion. Hmm. 
So, Mr. Mr. Little Crowley was like not having it. <laughs> yeah. Wanted out for sure. Well, I don't really blame him, but. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we talked about how he went on to Cambridge. Right. To study and all of those awesome things. But while he did explore his sexuality at Cambridge to say that he wished to eradicate the double standard for men and women alike might be a stretch because later in his life, he would write articles, which kind of suggest otherwise. Hmm. Like for example, in May of 1916, he wrote an article in Vanity Fair titled on the management of blondes. Hmm. And here's a lovely excerpt from that article. The first steps in the management of a blonde are perfectly easy. Any child knows enough to capture one. But when you have captured her, you must, by careful steering, lead her to the point when she comes to the conclusion that you are not dangerous. This is usually quite easy, as the blonde is really a bit of a fool. She is apt to think that other people are shallow as herself, so treat her like a child. Steer her along with frivolous talk. Uh, quote W.J. Bryan's famous dictum to her, you can lead a blonde to the Waldorf, but you can't make her drink. <laughs> like. I so mean, he's, if, he's not wrong. I'm just no, kidding. So <laughs> that's, well, yes, he is wrong. But interestingly, I actually read the whole article and he also talks about brunettes and how brunettes are just blondes that have dyed their hair so oh basically wow about all women right right and so crowley was known for satirical writing and raunchy dark humor mm -hmm. etc however uh but to understand i think to understand this we have to dig a little bit deeper than okay. just thinking like, okay, this is satire, obviously. Mm. But then <laughs> we need to talk about the pseudoscience of eugenics, unfortunately. Right. So, okay. So do you know, you know about eugenics? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the turn of the century through up until the second world war was heavily influenced by the pseudoscience of eugenics. Eugenics is the belief that undesirable traits, whether they are social, physical, or behavioral, can be eliminated in the human race through selective breeding. I think you all know how we've heard this before. Right. But Crowley not only did not escape its influence, some would say he was at its center. In his channeled Book of the Law, which we did talk about in the heroes episode mm -hmm. it was written in 1904 and he writes we have nothing with the outcast and the unfit let them die in their misery for they feel not compassion is the vice of kings stamp down the wretched and the weak this is the law of the strong this is our law and the joy of the world yeah yeah but i don't want to argue with it but i mean is that, did you read like the rest of the pastors around it? Like, is he actually speaking about eugenics here or does this, the outcasts and unfit, could that be something else entirely to him? Do you know what I mean? Right. So, and that is a good point to bring up 
Okay. But Crowley was also a member of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that particular organization perpetuated eugenic sentiments among its members, and Crowley was one of the biggest. He was a devout follower of Nietzsche and, in fact, ordered Telemites when he uh, founded Telema to read Nietzsche's works, believing that Nietzsche was a prophet of Telema. Mm-hmm. Crowley shared Nietzsche's views on the human race, believing there was an elite group of superior beings, while the rest of humanity was destined to be slaves who served at the will of the elite. So Crowley goes on to say, there is a good deal of Nietzschean standpoint in this. It is the evolutionary and natural view. Of what use is it to perpetuate the misery of tuberculosis and such diseases as we now do? Nature's way is to weed out the weak. This is the most merciful way too. the Christians to the lions. Let weak and rye productions go back into the melting pot as is done with flawed steel castings. Death will purge reincarnation, make whole these errors and abortions. Nature herself may be trusted to do this. If only we will leave her alone. Mm. Yeah. Alrighty. You know, it's funny though. A lot of people quote Nietzsche. Yeah. Like quite a bit. I don't even, maybe they don't realize what he was actually about. And there's actually an entire document full of eugenic quotes that I'm going to link in the description of this episode that everybody can check out on their own. And I would advise grabbing a stiff drink before you sit down to read it because it's pretty alarming. um, Wow. But in 1910... Crowley actually joined a German occultist group called Ordo Templi Orientis that preached eugenics. Uh, And the following is a part of this order's mission statement. The sexual re-education of the masses would be the responsibility of priest doctors. Private property would be eliminated, forced labor and eugenics were to be introduced while only physically perfect parents would be permitted to have children. (laughs) The religion of OTO would become that of the state. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's funny because it's like, oh, yes, perfectly, physically perfect parents because they always have children that are perfect, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, which we're going to know, like, (sighs) but there's a lot of irony here, too. And I think you have to remember, like. Okay, I'm going to say this, and I need people to understand what I'm saying. (laughs) So while we absolutely know in our modern world that eugenic ideals are insane and wrong and, like, you would never think that now, right? Mm -mm. But this particular way of thinking was global at the time. Like, it didn't just exist in a vacuum. These ideals were very very widespread right so you had people in the u.s in germany in france in britain in you know everywhere writing and talking about this notion of being able to breed out these traits that they didn't like they didn't want and partially because science wasn't they they didn't have the same science as we do right so they they couldn't look at dna and things like that and genes and you know at this time it was very new all of that stuff 
I think that that this kind of thing has been going on for thousands of years in, in, a, in a way, because I just read recently too, that Plato, I believe even supported killing off like weak babies when they were born. Mm. Yes. It's terrible to say, but if you look that up, that's actually true. So yeah, and I would we- believe that this was pretty global at that point i believe it was in the 1800s as well when survival of the fittest Mm. came about Mm -hmm. like that whole notion right yeah so everybody's kind of into that at the moment during this time wow so crowley actually influenced many through his eugenic connections and is even linked with l ron hubbard in the creation of scientology oh my god as well as with Roald Dahl and Ian Fleming. Really? Those guys. Roald, Roald I always say Roald Dahl because I never know how to say <laughs> his name. <laughs> but now I feel, oh man, we all watch his, like the movies that were inspired by his books and a lot of us have read his books. Mm-hmm. James and the Giant Peach. I know it was my favorite. The Witches. Really yeah. Mm-hmm. Charlie, right? In the Chocolate Factory? Okay, moving on. Yes. But in summary, Crowley was involved in many different organizations that promoted eugenic and racist ideals, including his own organization that he created, Um, was an ardent follower of those that believed in them, and even perpetuated eugenic utopia in articles and books. Wow. And he even tries to use it in his own life. And there's this whole subtopic where eugenics is concerned that I think Crowley was more a part of, Mm -hmm. uh, which is spiritual eugenics. I know it sounds crazy, right? But um, basically trying to purify the soul. Okay. How? Okay. Sex magic was one way. Sex magic. Sex magic. Yeah. Okay. So if you know anything about Crowley, it's likely that you know he was definitely sexually liberated Mm -hmm. and a believer in sex magic of all kinds. Sadly, one of the reasons for his foray into sex magic began uh, due to eugenic ideals. So he Mm. believed himself to be of elite or superior human status and thought he could use sex magic with his partner, Rose, who he married, Mm -hmm. to conceive a superhuman avatar (laughs) like this was what he was trying to do wow and her and her name was do you want to say it lilith you made her do the whole name but that wasn't her full name they called her lilith but her full name was newt ma ahathor ahathor hecate Sappho, Jezebel, Lilith. So she got 15 names. I'll say that. Try to say that three times fast. New Mata, I can't, can't, you can't. I know, right? Can't even say it okay, one time I, fast. You know, so he's trying to create this superhuman avatar, right? He gets his daughter. But the ironic thing about his daughter is that she dies of typhoid in 1906. Oh, okay. Right. I'm sure he would have liked to have had some medicine at that point to help her. But yet he's saying that, you know, 
disease right weeds out the week right right exactly so do you want me to do the spy part dun, dun, dun. yes okay <laughs> sorry no you're fine i just didn't hear you okay so i guess after his daughter dies of typhoid at some point he's thought to have been a double agent working for the british intelligence intelligence service during the first world war hmm. it is speculative and hazy at best but he was known for spouting anti-british propaganda during the time while also working with is that m15 or M what is that mi5 thank you mi5 however the british government denied ever knowing anything about it then later, historians found at least two files on Crowley within MI5 documents. There's a book available called Agent 666. Laura hasn't read it. And yeah. um, we don't know enough to say whether he was a villain or a hero in this particular arena. Right. Because to the surface, he looks like a villain. But right. he also talks about how he worked for the intelligence agency. But... Also, there's another part to this, which is... Okay. Further, Crowley was shunned by London for his anti-British works, so no one really knows what the actual truth is here. He would be shunned by a few other countries in his time, particularly Italy under Mussolini and France as well. Yes, Mussolini kicked him out. Mm -hmm. I do remember hearing that story a few times, actually. Like, it's pretty bad when... Mussolini kicks you out. Yeah, it is pretty bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So like, tell us, go ahead. What? Oh, I was just thinking to myself, like, what is it that you have to be doing for a genocidal dictator to be like, mm, you got to go? Yeah, it's pretty bad. So tell us about the drugs. Lots of them, lots and copious amounts. A whole pharmacy so, of drugs. Crowley was no stranger to drugs. In fact, he did them often and in mass quantity. He did everything from cocaine to hashish and from heroin to solvents and beyond. Wow. In fact, wow. he wrote several essays regarding his use of drugs and even a fictional book that you can still buy today called Diary of a Drug Fiend in 1922, which is a fictional book heavily based on his own drug use. Hmm. Crowley actually discovered heroin because it was pres prescribed to him in the 1920s and he instantly became addicted in many of his <sighs> written works he describes himself as what we today would call a psychonaut or an entheogenicist he recorded what he experienced from each drug physically mentally and spiritually and saw drugs as tools to gain enlightenment and return the soul to its most pure state so again, this is kind of that spiritual eugenics thing, like trying to use them as tools to get the purest soul possible. But I mean, make this no mistake, guy had like an obsession with pure souls. Yes. <laughs> but make no mistake, he was an addict of the highest order. And what like, I find like, what I find weird is that like he doesn't believe in using medicine or pharmaceuticals to help people that are sick right but he'll go to the doctor to get a prescription for something that he uses like abuses <laughs> anyway well he actually got that 
heroin prescribed to him for an injury, I believe. Oh, so it's okay to take it for injuries. Right. Isn't that a weakness? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I, saying, I, like, if that's not, what he actually believed, you know. And I'm not 100% positive on this, but I think that it was an injury he got mountaineering. I can't remember. Ugh, weak. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just what saying he contradicts himself. It's very contradicting, but anyway. Yes. Oh, Wait, yes. Please you... do tell about the Scarlet Woman and the Thruple because I've definitely heard about the Scarlet Woman quite a bit before. Okay, so in Crowley's religion or spiritual, you know, group, mm -hmm. there was a position called the Scarlet Woman. And Crowley had many of them throughout his time. But yeah, so... This was a position within his spiritual dichotomy hierarchy. But from what I gather, it was basically the position of the sacred prostitute. And mm -hmm. it was reserved for a woman who would have sex with Crowley for the purposes of debauchery and magic. In 1920, this honor was given to a woman by the name of Leah Hersig. And she was serious about her role as the Scarlet Woman going so far as agreeing to things like bestiality in the name of sex match. Uh, like goats were involved. I, I, you know, I, I could have done without the, the species of animal. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, oh, whatever man. that's discussed. I just like, I, I can't, I don't know. I, wow. Like I'll do a lot of freaky things, but, uh, you, there are certain lines just uncrossable for me. That, that, <laughs> I don't even like to hear about. That's what I mean. Uh, oh, uh, oh, okay. Okay. So by the spring of 1920, this Leah, the Scarlet Woman, gives birth to Crowley's baby, mm -hmm. Anna Leah. Crowley mm -hmm. and Leah then become sexually involved with the baby's nanny, Nanette, who also becomes pregnant with a baby via Crowley. Wow. Okay, so we have Crowley, Crowley baby mama, and the nanny, and they're all involved. He Well, he's involved with women. I'm not sure if the women are involved with each other, but I doubt it because uh, the women weren't, sources say the women weren't really on board with this whole arrangement, but they basically agreed because Crowley was going to do whatever he wanted anyway. Mm, okay. So much so that after Leah's baby Anna died... Within the first six months of its life, uh, Leah then suffered another, she got pregnant again, suffered a miscarriage. And so Crowley and Leah decide that Nanette the nanny has put a curse on them. Oh, yes, so, that must be it. So she gets kicked out onto the street, broke AF, and was only allowed to return once the baby was born. <laughs> it was a It was a girl, and they named her... Astarte Lulu Panthea. I just, this is so much to unpack. I know. <laughs> I know. Like the heroes episode, simple. Nice. It was. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> oh man. It's like a soap opera. Eh? Um, I'm going to go with it's worse than a soap opera. <laughs> yes. yes. It's all kinds of effed up. All kinds of dark and seedy. Wow. Okay, so with the birth of new babies and the abundance of sex magic, 
it made Crowley get this idea in his head that he wanted to build some sort of spiritual commune. Of course. Which kind of doesn't surprise me, given the, you know, the way he grew up. Mm. So, as you do, he consults the I Ching about where he is to build this Mecca, and the I Ching tells him Cephalu in Palermo, Greece. Mm. So he moves everyone to a residence there called the Villa Santa Barbara and dubs it the Abbey of Telema. Okay. All right. So the story about the thruple and the babies we just discussed, they were living at this abbey when the nanny was kicked out onto the street after she, after they had given her a proper exorcism. I ha- I actually had heard this story before. Yeah. I think I've seen pictures of uh, the abbey online. I think you can pull it up online. Yeah, because it's still there. Okay. Uh, So the utopia didn't turn out exactly like Crowley had wanted it to. And yes, there were many magical orgies and magical rituals and yoga and meditation. But there was also a lot of death, especially babies, and rivalry among the women. Mm. So though the Abbey is still standing today, eventually this paradise would be abandoned once Leah leaves Crowley and takes interest. Oh, she leaves Crowley and then he takes interest in another woman and decides to move to Tunisia. Okay. Wow. Which. Okay. So are we getting towards the end of, or the latter half of his life at this point? Yes. Okay. Understood. Apparently there may be some potential murder and we definitely know there's been death in Crowley's life. Right. So in the 1920s and 1930s, there were six murders in Britain that were blamed on the curse of Tutankhamen, if I'm saying that right. Tutankhamen. Huh? The curse of Tutankhamen. I like Tutankhamen. (laughs) King Tut. King Tut, yes, that. However, after analyzing Crowley's essays and books, a historian named Mark Bainan believes that they were victims of human sacrifice by Crowley. Mm. I would like to read that and where that those kind of connections came from, because not that I'm saying Crowley couldn't be uh, like, like that he couldn't be able to do that, but that is like a big, you know... I feel like he had right. one of those cork boards with like all the little red strings, like trying to piece the <laughs> the puzzle together. Okay. Further, Crowley wrote an essay called Casebook, Jack the Ripper, where he asserts the occult reasons for the murders. Interesting. While this is all conjecture, it does seem odd. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever heard? I don't think you have this down. Have you ever heard of the Paris incident? I wish I had have wrote about it for this episode, but you all can look it up online. There's not a whole lot of resources on it, but it's basically about this ritual that Crowley did at some point in a Paris hotel and with another man and the people in the hotel were like hearing all these crazy sounds and like music and then they started hearing screams And the guy that was with Crowley supposedly died and they just like rolled it a mysterious death or like, I I don't even know what happened. It was a very bizarre story. So if y'all are interested, you can look into that, but there's no real like evidence to say that he absolutely killed the guy. It's very strange. 
Anyway, Crowley died penniless at Hastings boarding house and addicted to heroin in 1947 at the age of 72. Apparently he also had chronic bronchitis and heart congestion. He was cremated at Brighton and his ashes are reported to be lost. Mm -hmm. Huh? Who knows where he really is these days? Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. In conclusion. Right. So as for Crowley and his eugenic ideals, was he just trying to gain clout among the elite? Some say he really didn't believe eugenic ideals, but did so in a public forum to throw people off his scent in what he was really trying to accomplish in secret. The same way that some believe he shared anti-British sentiments during World War I to serve as a double agent to to Her Majesty. But then again... Mm. He was ousted by London and removed from Italy at different points. So who knows? Yeah, really. Very confusing. His use of drugs was often in many. And while some of his drug use was attributed to enlightenment, there was plenty that seemed to just be addiction. I mean, he was still a chronic heroin user at 72 when he died. So what is the line between the two? How far do you go before you cross it? Or can you say that it was all for spiritual attainment and justified? Yeah, I think it, okay. (laughs) Heroin is just not something to mess with. (laughs) No kidding. In general. Uh, So I don't really see how, this is just me, just my opinion, people, but you don't, you're not going to get enlightened from heroin use. Sorry. Uh, In creating Utopia, was he really just a cult leader? His upbringing definitely taught him the ins and outs of living in a cultish society. So was his desire for this utopia just another way for him to feed his already overly inflated ego? Mm-hmm. And I mean, the big debate on Crowley was whether he was really a pioneer on the road to spiritual enlightenment or just a rich, spoiled, narcissistic megalomaniac who preyed on willing victims under the guise of spiritual enlightenment. Mm. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people out there that defend him like to the death. Like they literally will, I'm sure some people might listen to this and think wrong, 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 wrong. There's a lot of people that are very dedicated to the book of the law. I mean, I really don't know, to be fully honest. I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that he had some major issues and could have been a villain, (laughs) but I don't know. (laughs) I tend to think he was more, how do I put this? A villain of convenience. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that he set out to purposefully do things, but if the opportunity was there and it was going to uh, advance his goals in some way, Mm -hmm. he was absolutely going to take it. And maybe he just went down a path of depravity because of the drugs and sex and everything. Right. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. But don't let our opinions sway you. Decide for yourself whether Aleister Crowley was hero, villain, or misunderstood. I think that wraps it up. Okay. As always, thank you all for your continued support. We hope you enjoyed this villainous episode of Mimir's Well, diving deeper into one of the most notorious figures of the occult. And remember... Despite our sweet reputations, we really have the hearts of men.
on our altars that we keep in jars.